Good morning, everybody. It is Friday. It's the end of the week. It is August 18th. Can you believe it? The weekend is upon us. Hey, thanks for joining us here for the last devotional of this week. We take an opportunity Monday through Friday to spend 10 or 15 minutes unpacking the text that we're going to be looking at for that upcoming Sunday. And of course, we have been in Matthew's gospel. We're in Matthew chapter 9, looking at verses 1 through 8. Remember, the goal of this time is not simply to dispense theological information, but it really is to give you some tools by which you can use to study and apply the Word of God for yourself, to be a self-feeder related to God's Word, not just a consumer. And so we've been walking through this text, and we've noticed that this text comes at a strategic point where Jesus has been doing healings, he's been doing miracles, the supernatural, but now he gives us the what for, the reason behind this. And this reason, of course, as we've seen, is to establish his authority. And we left off last night talking about this idea that, that these, these men and this paralytic who Jesus heals um, are, are trusting in Jesus, not just to, to provide physical healing for them, but to provide spiritual healing. They're recognizing through their faith their need for Jesus. The, it, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, on the other hand, are the, the picture of unbelief in this passage. They are skeptical. They are, um, they're not concerned about the plight of the paralytic, nor um, do they give credence to the authority of Jesus. And what Jesus has been laboring to show them is that if I have the authority to heal disease and heal paralysis, for example, then that makes me something besides just a mere man. And the reason, Jesus says, that I can forgive sins is because I'm God. And this, of course, was the very point that the Pharisees were pushing back on. They did not believe Jesus could forgive sins. They did not believe that Jesus was God, despite all evidence to the contrary, that Jesus was only doing things that God can do. And it really teaches us something about unbelief, right? That, that unbelief is, is, is hardly ever just a matter of the intellect or being convinced by the right apologetic arguments. Unbelief is a deeply grounded, rooted issue of, ref, of refusing to see reality. It's a, ref, it's a willful denial of the spiritual dynamics in our heart. Unbelief is a very powerful thing. But now we come to the third and last group that is highlighted in this text. And I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to, to, to die in and tie, dive in and sort of tie this up heading into the weekend. Verse 1, chapter 9, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. 
When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. So we have the paralytic and his friends. They're the, the picture of faith for us. We have the Pharisees, the scribes. They're the picture of unbelief. But we have a third group of people in this text. They are the crowds. And what are they a sign of or a symbol of? And I think the word that we would want to use to describe them is curiosity. Okay, So, so look back at verse 8. There's two things that Matthew indicates about the response of the crowds. It says, one, they were afraid. And number two, they glorified God. And then on the surface, those do seem to be very promising responses, right? Because that word afraid, it literally means to be in awe of, to, to have a reverence for. And of course, we can understand that. The crowds have been watching all of this go down. They've seen these men cut a hole in the roof and lower their friend down, and this man be uh, miraculously healed. And as they see it, they are in awe. They are they are. Blown, their, their socks are blown off, right? They are, their, their minds are blown. They are, when, when, when they say fear, it's, this is not a naked fear. This is, a, this, is a, this is an awe, a reverence, a sense that something amazing has just happened. And so we can understand that. Number two, it says they glorified God. And we can understand that as well. They were praising God. They were thanking God. They've seen something spectacular. They're in awe. Um, imagine being at a baptism service and hearing someone's testimony, seeing their baptism, and being awestruck by the work of God, in, in fact, giving praise to God, acknowledging that this has happened because God has worked. And most of us would look at that and say, well, that's a really great response by the crowds. And, and on, on a one hand, it's not a bad response, Okay. But what I think Matthew wants us to see is that this is not a sufficient response, okay? Because what is the one thing that Jesus does not say to the crowds that he does say to the man and his friends? He does not say that this, these crowds, these people who are witnessing this, have had their sins forgiven. He makes it very clear that the paralytic has had his sins forgiven, but he doesn't say the same for the crowds. Now, that doesn't mean that their sins weren't forgiven. It doesn't, doesn't mean that they were either. In fact, that's the point. Matthew is leaving us open to what happens next. And really, I think what Matthew is wanting to do here is he's wanting to, for us to insert ourselves into this story, to put ourselves in the place of the crowds, and how would we be responding? We absolutely, in the same way, if we saw a miracle like this, we would absolutely be afraid. We'd be in awe. We'd be in, in reverence. We absolutely would be glorifying God and thanking God. But that doesn't mean that our sins are forgiven because those responses in and of themselves, here's the key point, don't mean that we have true, genuine, biblical, saving faith. You see, it's possible to believe in God it's possible to acknowledge his miraculous work. It's possible to be in awe and reverence of things that God is doing in the lives of people. But yet, 
still be lost in our unbelief. Now, why is that? Well, it comes back to the nature of understanding what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is not just intellectual acknowledgement or emotion. Biblical faith is a volitional entrusting of oneself to Christ. It is a decision to follow, to entrust, to obey, to walk with, to hand over the authority of one's own life to the authority of another. And now we don't know who in this passage goes on to do that. Let me just say, I think we have a lot of hints, indications that it doesn't go well for most of the crowd. There's a point very soon in the ministry of Jesus when people begin to fall away. When people hear this call to discipleship, to obedience, to repentance, people who might have been in awe, people who might have glorified God, but yet were not willing to entrust their life to God. We're not, we're not willing to follow Jesus. And I think this is the great exclamation point of this passage. Who are you in the story? Who am I? Are we those who um, admire from afar? And granted, we may not be like the Pharisees. We may not be mocking. We may not be skeptical. We may, we, we, we may not be um, or think of ourselves as evil in our hearts, right, in the same sort of way, being devious. But yet, that doesn't make us or doesn't qualify us to have our sins forgiven. The only thing that can do that is God, or a person who can do that is God, and that the only instrument that God uses for the forgiveness of sins is faith in him. And this is, this is where we are left um, at the end of this passage, because from here, Jesus moves forward and begins to call disciples to himself who must exercise faith, in order to follow and trust in Jesus. So who are you? Who are you in the story? Because at the end of the day, while there might be a focus on three groups of people, there's actually only two types of people. There are those who entrust their lives to Jesus, and there are those who don't. All right, that's wrapping it up for this week. We will be back here first thing Monday morning, looking at Matthew chapter 9, the call of Matthew. And this is Matthew's autobiographical account of his own conversion, and it's going to be great. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that your word would be written on our hearts and that we would go from this place um, trusting in you and trusting ourselves to you all the more. So, Father, um, have your way with us. We commit to you um, our weekend and look forward to what you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you Monday.